Hey, hi, hello, y'all. This is RB welcoming you back for season two, episode four of Take the Last Bite, a show where we lay Midwest nice out on the table and then we flip that table to explore how being queer and trans in the Midwest shapes who we are and how our communities come together. Since the founding of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity back in 2016, our team has had ample opportunity to establish really meaningful generative relationships with each other through the project of building this organization. In previous episodes of this podcast, clusters of our team have come together to have really engaging conversations about big ideas like Midwest Nice, our experiences of queerness in rural versus urban areas, grappling with aging, and a slew of other big topics. But today's conversation, I think, took myself and three other team members to some new depths, both collectively and I think personally. Our journeys into understanding our senses of self, our quote-unquote coming-out experiences, are often internalized or experienced individually. And I think this conversation today is particularly powerful in that we were able to cross-talk about all of these key moments and inspirations and obstacles that have created this constellation of data for how trans, non-binary, and intersex people are able to make meaning out of their gendered experiences and what it means to share these stories in a way that explores what is real versus what is possible. So I'm truly grateful we were able to capture this chat for today's episode. But before we get there, you know me, I have to take a few moments to address all the mayhem that is happening in our universe right now. And in true airy season fashion, there is oh so much mayhem to talk about. But for once, I have some major wins to talk about first. Um, so on March 31st, which was Trans Day of Visibility, the federal administration announced it was making some tangible moves on a few things that directly impact lots of trans and non-binary people, specifically some policy changes that include the ability to get an ex-gender marker on passports. TSA is supposed to be removing the gendered screening options at TSA checkpoints and should also be adding some trainings for TSA agents. And then the Social Security Administration is supposed to be phasing out the requirement that trans people have to provide a doctor's note or other type of documentation in order to change their gender identity information on their Social Security record. What I think is really promising about these shifts is that it creates some consistency because for years we've been seeing individual states add the X gender marker as an option on state IDs, driver's licenses, but not as much movement on other forms of documentation leading to like a weird mismatch. So on that front, that could help a lot of people who have kind of been stuck in this place of, well, my state license says this, but my other documentation says this, if you've opted for the X gender marker. I'm certainly someone who affirms that there's kind of uh, some suspiciousness 
to documenting that you're non-binary with government officials. Um, but I truly do affirm that if that's something that um, you're looking to access, it should certainly be as simple and consistent as possible. So this move seems uh, a, like a positive direction. I'm certainly very curious about the TSA scanner um, policy shift. Uh, I don't know if there's any particular timeline that we should be seeing those changes. And I'm also curious what then that means for how that technology is going to function if they're not using gendered buttons. As a fat trans person, I'm very wary that we may be moving towards some methods that still are problematic regarding traditional body types and body sizes um but you know tbd for tsa and then with the shift to not requiring these doctor's notes to change your information with social security again that's definitely a promising shift and what that creates as an open question for me in thinking about that is how is this going to then impact kind of these other um, proximal agencies that are touched by by these policy shifts, such as hospitals and doctor's offices who may still be hit up for doctor's notes for things like gender-affirming surgeries. So if we're bypassing this in regards to Social Security, are we going to then see some significant shift and changes with expectations when it comes to um, medical procedures and treatments? So, so much kind of opens up with these changes. It's certainly not all encompassing and there's definitely a lot of limitations, but ultimately some really promising stuff. And from the kind of news release item from the National Center for Transgender Equality, they specifically point out a lot of these items are things that folks have been advocating for for decades. And so to see some movement on these pieces as kind of this bundle package is pretty exciting and opens some, some more possibilities. So cool, cool on that. And honestly, it was about damn time we got some like actionable, specific, positive news from the higher ups that run this country because we are still in the thick of the rapid fire attacks and past legislation across this country attacking um, trans youth. The most recent instance we must add to the tally is a ban on gender affirming health care for trans youth in the state of Alabama. Now, this bill is a prime example of what happens when anti-trans and trans hatred intersects with the carceral state or the state's propensity for criminalizing damn near everything. Now, this law criminalizes gender-affirming health care to the point where there is a threat of 10 years in prison for medical providers if they provide gender-affirming care to trans youth. That's how serious and egregious uh, this particular piece of legislation is. This particular piece of legislation from Alabama is very similar to some proposed legislation we're seeing pop up across the country. It's very much in line with the talking points from some of the Texas politicians we talked about a few episodes ago who want to criminalize or outright ban gender-affirming health care for children and liken it to quote-unquote child abuse. And what I'll plan to do is we'll link again in the show notes some of those 
strong resources that have been keeping track and monitoring the proposed and passed anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ legislation so that you can be mindful of what's taking place in your state or your area and mobilize as you see fit. But I want to zoom out a bit and try to connect this particular bill and the talking points associated with it to the conversation we're going to have today. So what you're going to hear from our team as we kind of had this like kind of coffee shop style chillax conversation that went here, there, and everywhere, but in this really special way, is that we started with talking about our aha moments. And by aha moments, we meant, you know, when was the first time you questioned your gender or your sexuality or both, right? When was the moment you experienced some cognitive dissonance about who you were and started to explore that? And as we wrapped up our conversation, we went around and talked about what would have enabled us to have that aha moment either more confidently or earlier or with more clarity, right? What would have needed to be in place or have been happening in our lives to really make that aha moment one that was less scary or intimidating? I feel like the connections there between knowing that we had an aha moment, perhaps in college, or it was influenced by folks we've encountered through this work with the Institute or the Mumble Tech Conference. Um, we talked about how we really envision these futures where there's opportunity abound for trans youth who have that aha moment in their youth. And then there's these significant pathways and there's clarity and there's confidence and there's comfortability and there's folks to kind of guide them through their journeys from that initial aha moment, because for a lot of us, we didn't have that. And when I think about how that deeply connects with these laws, specifically the ones that want to interrupt gender-affirming healthcare for transgender youth, it makes it very clear that this is not just about this current moment in this child's life, it's about their entire life trajectory. It's about censoring, it's about stifling, it's about removing them from access, from community. It's saying that we're gonna put you on pause because we don't believe you. We don't want to believe that this is who you are and we're going to find every way possible to convince you otherwise. We're going to disallow you to explore and be creative and to experiment and to compare and to reflect. We're going to take that away from you. We're going to make sure you can't talk about it in your classrooms. And we're going to make sure that you can't even do it in the comfort of your own home within your family structure to explore who you are. It is imperative that trans children are able to become trans adults, and when legislation like the Alabama ban on gender-affirming healthcare for trans youth gets instated, we are essentially dooming them to a long, hard, arduous life of questioning everything in ways that are not meaningful, that are not expansive. They're going to question their own sanity. They're going to question their own self. They're going to question, is there something wrong with me? And that is a really horrible mental place to be. Trans youth in Alabama are literally having 
their care, their journey interrupted by the place that they live because some grown ass adults are so insecure in their own selves that they have to damage other children in the interest of all of the fill in the blank talking points that the Republicans love to tout off all the time, but are actually just harmful and disgusting and egregious. I feel like I drive this point every week and I fully understand that I'm preaching to a choir essentially because I imagine, I am hopeful, that the folks listening to this podcast are very much on the same page that these pieces of legislation are going to have long lasting implications and that there's going to be some very significant work we're going to have to do to untangle the massive mayhemy mess that is being created by legislatures and decision makers. How do we participate in trans youth's lives in a way that helps carry them through from that aha moment into every next aha moment, every new discovery, every moment of euphoria, every struggle through comprehending who am I in the grand scheme of this earth, in this miracle of their life? Right? How do we connect more directly with our youth to be available to them in ways that our legislation is trying to disallow? Our governments are trying to separate trans youth from connecting with trans adults. They don't want children to see us because they think it's contagious. Obviously, I could rant about this all day and I've occupied quite a bit of space in this intro doing so, but I just really want to impress the point that there is some significant work to be done here and something that I will essentially pull from the conversation we're about to hear is a, is a borrow from Toshi Regan, who is co-host of the Octavia Parables podcast with my beloved Adrian Marie Brown, where Toshi talks about the importance of having people in your life who are 10 years younger than you to build this intergenerational, interdependent ecosystem where we are learning across these decades and these generations where we are paying forward and planting forward that we're putting seeds in the ground now that are going to be harvested by folks later on and how do we care and share through that ecosystem of folks who are younger and older than us and i really think that's important if you don't have young folks in your life right now find them i'm sure they're around and i'm sure that there's probably folks who are looking for us but because of this legislation we might be hard to find so how do we make these connections? How do we leverage visibility in a way that is meaningful and valuable for youth who are being attacked with perhaps not even realizing it? So let's find these youth, let's build these intergenerational, interdependent connections, and let's fight these legislation attacks as much as possible. So now for our main event, our conversation that I have previewed and doted upon quite a bit already in this introduction. Again, I am joined by three of my comrades here at the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity. Danielle, Michelle, Andy, and I have essentially a roundtable discussion around so many reflective experiences about how we came into our transness and gender nonconformity, who we look to as possibility models, all things, obstacles that have been in our way and how we've overcome them, some honest reflections on our whiteness as it pertains to our access and trajectories through our transness, and how essentially society expected us to become cishet white women and how we've had to unlearn that conditioning. 
I am incredibly excited to be bringing this conversation to the podcast because I think it's a really stellar example of the conversations our team often has in late night hotel suites during conference weekends or on every other Tuesday nights when we have our staff meetings um, or in our remote uh, Slack channel conversations, right? This is, this is the work, right? This is the casual but impactful work of trying to bring ourselves into the space offer some vulnerability and some realness and just learn from each other. So I hope that this is as informative and endearing for you as it was for us to kind of trek through this mushy, messy, complex conversation for us. So with that, again, I welcome you and hope you have a great time listening to this episode of Take the Last Bite. Y'all, we cannot do this. We cannot be these stereotypical Midwesterners. Please eat the rest of this food. We just have these conversations every day with people. Like, this is exhausting. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Why can't we be in space with hundreds of other queer and trans folks and having these necessary conversations? I don't know who you are, but (laughs) we're going to talk by the potatoes for five minutes. Because aesthetic is the only thing keeping my dysphoria at bay. Yeah, I'm broke all the time, but I look amazing. Definitely going to talk about Midwest nice. And if that's, if that's, um, as real as it wants to think it is. Midwest nice is white aggression. That's what it is. All right, fam. So we're going to have what is inevitably going to be a roller coaster ride of a conversation because even just prepping for this chat, we've been all over the place, which I don't think is a problem. Um, I think we're in for a, a really interesting exploratory conversation. I'm really uh, excited to have us together today to talk about it. Um, let's just go ahead and start off with folks doing like a quick introduction, but also getting right into it with, um, sharing an anecdote or a story or, um, a little, little thought on when was the first time you experienced some kind of question or dissonance around your own gender? Um, I'm Andy. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I currently live in Chicago around their area um I think my first like this feels weird uh was in like 2018 um and like it this memory like sparks a lot of just like it is a memory that I remember a lot but I think I had started kind of contemplating you know gender stuff before then But basically, I was at one of my best friend's birthday parties, and we were at a bar in the city pre-COVID, and granted, it was a straight bar, but felt out of place, and I was like, I don't feel like I am, you know, a female, and I definitely don't feel like a guy either, and uh, this is weird. Let's parse this out a little bit, (laughs) and then shortly thereafter came out as non-binary because yeah just like this uncomfortableness in this bar of like I don't feel like I fit here and yeah my name is Danielle I use they them pronouns Uh, I live in Ann Arbor Michigan and I'm non-binary so I guess the first time that I sort of felt any sort of very strong gender dissonance 
would definitely be when I was in college. Um, I think I had like some small gender dissonance when I was younger that was sort of connected to my sexuality in a different way. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the first time I felt really strong gender dissonance was when uh, at the time I was working for my uh, university's office of LGBT student services. Um, and a friend of mine there had just come out as non-binary. And I remember doing some introspection and being like, am I non-binary? And then connecting <laughs> a bunch of like small incidents when I was a child and when I was growing up to be like, maybe, maybe that uncomfortability you have with being labeled as a woman has to do with your gender and not just like, you know, not, not has to do with your sexuality, not has to do with anything else. It, it, you, you might have a gender thing going on here. Uh, so that was sort of my, uh, my first experience with that. I am Michelle, my pronouns are she or they. Um, I am probably the freshest uh, to figure this out of the group, um, we'll say. Um, so I've only kind of started playing with labels and stuff um, like publicly um, to people um, within the last couple months here. I went with agender, we'll see, non-binary, it's just somewhere, somewhere in the umbrella. And then I would say, um, as I was like, kind of reflecting on it, I was like, I have like a very specific memory from like childhood where I'm like, something's off. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I remember being in kindergarten and they had, um, they had the Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts or whatever it is at that mm -hmm. age range come in and do a presentation like, oh, we're going to learn how to camp and build fires and shoot bows and arrows and do all this stuff and me being like oh I want to do it and then them telling me no and I did Girl Scouts no knock on the Girl Scouts but mm. making bracelets is not the same um <laughs> not the same thing and so I think that's like the first time I was like this isn't what I like you know I had a lot of those kind of feelings through childhood of like this is off, but not knowing it was the nineties. Um, so not knowing the words or why or what is happening. Um, and so I think it was on and feelings on and off throughout my life. Um, more so sometimes than others. And I think most recently, um, like where I kind of like was starting to be like, Oh, okay. Was I was at a wedding. I was a bridesmaid and I had a full face of makeup. I don't normally wear makeup. I had false eyelashes, which was like the first time wearing those. Um, I was extremely exposed uh, chest wise in the dress. I just like was the most uncomfortable. Um, and I think that's when I was like, oh, oh no, this is not for me. <laughs> um, just kind of funny. There's, I should have known as I started like talking to people, they're like, yeah, glad you figured that out. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, I haven't come across anybody that's been, like, wildly shocked. <laughs> um, maybe my parents, but I don't know that they would. I haven't talked to them yet, but I don't know how shocked they'll be. Um, but there, somewhere is a photo of me at a wedding as, like, a preteen in a fucking mauve pantsuit. <laughs> and I think people just should have known a long time ago. <laughs> just, like, what 10-year-old is like, I want a pantsuit. <laughs> I was sitting here thinking as you were telling that story, like, are you really an AFAB non-binary person if you don't have some kind of story about being forced to wear bridesmaids dress or some other like situation similar to where you are required? Oh, mm -hmm, been there. 
Mm-hmm. Though I do wish I'd kept the, the necklace that came with that dress. Anyway, <laughs> uh, lessons we learn when we're initially rejecting our assigned gender and then the things come full circle. <laughs> so we're coming together specifically because by the time this episode comes out, we'll have... Um, We'll be observing Trans Day of Visibility on March 31st. Um, And when I pitched wanting to get folks together from our team to talk about anything related to Trans Day of Visibility, I got quite quite a series of responses from the three of y'all. And I was like, maybe we should bring everybody into a conversation because there was some uncertainty or some just kind of uh, uh, wariness or I literally got the shrug react from Andy of just like, I mean, sure, but also like, what are we going to talk about? And Mm -hmm. um, as we brainstormed, we decided we wanted to talk about everything, but (laughs) we're going to go through kind of, I think, um, some pretty uh, important milestone related talking points I think related to like from that moment that initial moment of like "Mm, something's up Mm, what is this Mm, what is happening right like that y'all express through your um, respective stories to what like what has been experiences seemingly common amongst the four of us like since that initial aha moment and I know um one of the things we wanted to uh talk about right was just like in in relation to all of the questioning and introspection one does as they're starting to think about am I trans am I am I some shade of queer like what is happening within myself my body my mind um is like the imposter syndrome that comes with wanting to confidently claim identity as you go on that questioning journey so I wanted us to talk about that right like what where does that imposter syndrome or feeling of not being queer trans enough come from? And like, what has been some of your experiences with with that? I think when I first started identifying as non-binary, I had this thing where I felt like I needed to present in a, in a quote unquote non-binary way, mm. you know, like I, that I needed for, in order to be seen as, as a valid, you mm. know, non-binary person or trans person that I needed to dress in a certain way I needed to bind my chest I needed to like do these things to to prove somehow that I was that I was trans enough to to hold that label because like and I I didn't get ridicule from from anyone I didn't get like you know I, I mean ridicule from other trans people but I still felt like I needed to prove to other trans people that I was trans and that I needed to give myself some sort of like backing, you know, but that's, it's just such a weird like thing that I felt like I needed to do. And I, I, I still have trouble like parsing that out. Like, why do you Mm. feel this, Mm -hmm. this, this necessity to do this? But yeah, that was a a weird time. And the funny thing is, it's like, this is a podcast and so we're recording this and you can't see our faces but every single one of us is nodding along to Danielle mm-hmm. um yeah I think for me using trans the trans label to describe myself is not something I was comfortable doing until rather recently I think because like there was definitely this like internal monologue a devil's advocate of like are you really non-binary or are you just a tomboy and it's just like okay how do I get out of this stupid spiral and like my spouse helped me with that a lot of like no you want to like 
have bodily changes you want to do other things like you're not just a tomboy you're not not non-binary and <laughs> like um and it, like it is still something I'm like ah, even to this day even post-top surgery it's still like but am, but am I really and it's it's like those days are fewer and farther between these days but like you know it's still a thing and it's I don't know being called a tomboy my entire life it's just like I think externally difficult for people to see a difference quote unquote mm-hmm. with like how I present now and how I presented then and it's like or maybe we could just observe that uh I've been non-binary my entire life and this has always been me and you just had a different label for it than the one that I actually want to use Andy I identify with that so strongly (laughs) I I was also called a tomboy a lot growing up so that that Mm -hmm. definitely rings true for me yeah yeah same 100% I was the dinosaur kid like that little kid that could tell you every dinosaur name like that was 100% me wanted nothing to do with the Barbies um but yeah just tomboy for sure (laughs) um I think for me, one of the things that leads to imposter syndrome is um, like being straight passing. Um, I am, I am married to a cis man. He's also alphabet mafia, but like um, not, you know, he's, he's a cis man and he looks like a cis man. Like he's just a big burly, hairy guy. Um, So just like on the surface, all right, AFAB person married to a man. I think also it's like, I have dysphoria, but it's, I don't want to make physical changes to my body and I don't, um, I don't bind and I don't want to bind, um, because I like to be comfortable. (laughs) Um, that's, that's the bottom line of that. It's not that I'm particularly attached to my chest. I just don't want to be uncomfortable, but I also am not bothered by like my body the way that it is. I've spent a lot of time working on body positivity. Um, cause also nineties kid with, uh, you know, growing up with like, you have to be super skinny, mm-hmm. um, that aesthetic. So it took me a long time to like, accept it the way it is. So I think lack of like wanting to have physical changes, like is creating like a dissonance. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's like you s- see in the media or like, you have to be this certain way to fit into the, um, uh, the narrative. And I yeah, think for me to have any any gender dysphoria at all and that that wasn't what made me figure out that I was non-binary it was I think specifically when I shaved the side of my head Mm. and I was like this feels different like this (laughs) feels in in a way you know and I had this gender euphoria where I was like this is it this is this is something I don't know what this is but this is definitely something I've been cutting my hair short since like high school and like bullied mercilessly in high school. It just is so much more comfortable. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it feels, it feels much more right. I think queer folks have a certain relationship with body modifications in general that I think like just becomes extra prevalent for trans and non-binary people. Andy's gesturing to the many tattoos on their arm, right? Like I think about folks in my ecosystem who like I can speculate when they've had 
a change in their relationship <laughs> status when they're posting about dyeing their hair some ridiculous different shade of something or just you know it's it's a it's a power tool and it's something important so then I think when it comes into play as a tool and tactic for like gender exploration right it's a matter of I was not given permission to toy with this part of myself or part of my body because of gendered socialization or because of like rigid understandings of gender based on where you might've grown up, right? Like I think about for me, kind of having a, a slightly different trajectory. Like, I don't think I was called a tomboy when I was younger. I very much claimed much more of like a higher femme aesthetic throughout college and like that was really comfortable for me because my hair was fantastic um and I just I really enjoyed um just like dressing up in a certain way and having like really fun and playful like bright colors and bold patterns and I had many pairs of jeans and different shades of colors you don't traditionally see jeans in right and then I don't know I feel like I'm unearthing something I need to go unpack with myself after this chat but like once I started claiming some shade of like non-binary identity and kind of overcame the initial hurdle of like I don't know if that's me or I don't think I'm allowed to do that Mm -hmm. um I toned down the femininity quite a bit to kind of like level things back out and kind of start from scratch and figure out like if I'm under the dif- uh, the auspices of not being a woman what does that mean for how I present in the world so like it took me a while I think to get back to a place where I would put eyeliner on again even though that was something I wore every single day when I was younger right but I was just like I'm not allowed to do that so it's almost like I like overcompensated and created different rules for myself to like neutralize and like level out what I was trying to do when I was claiming a non-binary identity which I still do right so all of that to say is that like the rules are abundant (laughs) like I just feel like that's also part of why like I think it's hard to like go from that place of questioning to the place of practice is that you're bumping like we're bumping up against this rigidity and these rules and these like insistent ways of being that create new boxes and categories for how you're allowed to function right like even as non-binary folks there's definitely this rigid gender binary expectation even in group where there's talking points around if you don't experience gender dysphoria you're not trans or if you don't want to pursue biomedical transitions that you're not trans or that you know, there's, there's a whole list um, that aren't inherently true, but then I think that also creates additional um, hurdles for folks to claim transness when they're non-binary because there's this monopoly on what is considered trans versus if non-binary is, is even a real or valid or legitimate identity. And so just like, there's just so much to bump up against that makes it hard to play, makes it hard to explore, like makes it hard to find like what, what feels good. Burn it on them. That's why, you know, I mean, talking about visibility, I think that's why it's so important to have visibility, to have mm-hmm. like different, I guess, role models for, for transness and for being non-binary, mm-hmm. because, you know, just seeing the same sort of, like you said, rigid, um, like presentation of being non-binary makes it very hard for people who don't adhere to that presentation to to claim that identity and so I think it's very like important to have that sort of to have people like us who don't necessarily fit into that that mold to Mm -hmm. to be 
out and around and and visible mm-hmm. yeah i think it something in this reminded me of a previous doctor that i had who was like listed as lgbt friendly on the website of the group um and when i told her i was non-binary like her immediate oh oh, okay have you had a double mastectomy yet have you talked to an endocrinologist to get on testosterone so like immediately her reaction was okay let's push you into a transition Mm. model where like you're going to transition from f to m and like these are all of the things that i know to ask about from this thing and i'm like yeah i want top surgery but i don't want to be on testosterone and like i don't want a typical f to m transition because i am not male and what part of i am not male are you not getting Mm. and so that was uncomfortable but like Mm. I just think like that doctor had never experienced or come across a non-binary non-binary individual previously. And it's just like, come on, mm-hmm. we can do better. This makes me recall the story of uh, a non-binary person who I think uh, was was sort of pressured by the medical establishment to go on testosterone, mm-hmm. um, and then had to eventually like get off of it because they they were not comfortable with the changes that were happening to them and their body but I think that's just it's it's a shame it's really a shame that our our medical establishment doesn't really understand society at large doesn't really understand our struggles and our our gender identity at all and it can be very difficult to sort of break out of that break out of that period yeah Mm -hmm. I will say I have found a doctor more recently who also has you know LGBT on their profile and is actually LGB with the T, including non-binary, was like, okay. And like she knew all of her stuff. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was like a brush of fresh air. And it's like I did not have to move to a more like liberal area. Like I didn't move between the, these two doctors. I just had to go from one location to another and mm-hmm. found somebody else that was better, which was surprising and also nice. I think the lack of non-binary visibility is a big part of why it took me so long to figure my stuff out. So I'll be honest with y'all. So I was not involved in like anything with the community until I met (laughs) y'all. So my very first Emble Tech in 2017, that was my first time finding out non-binary was a thing. Um, our BU may literally be the first not out non-binary person I've ever met. <laughs> um, that I think is why it took me so long is like, as a kid, I'm like, I know I'm not a girl, but I'm not a boy either. Mm-hmm. So I guess, I guess I'm a girl. <laughs> so like, even knowing that there was a word is really freaking helpful. <laughs> Definitely. I remember yeah. in high school doing a lot of introspection because I had a bunch of friends who were trans men in high school and I remember doing some introspection of like am I am I a trans guy am I trans and then being like no absolutely not <laughs> and then several years <laughs> later being like mm, what's happening there yeah I think what's messy is that like in in addition to questioning yourself in relation to maybe these other like models of models of folks we're talking about right examples that we're seeing of other um trans spectrum experiences is that it also means overcoming like the conditioning to be anti-trans right like i recall very few trans folks um of any like 
and variety in college and there was like one trans man and he wasn't really like involved in any of the LGBTQ organizing stuff so he was kind of pretty far outside of my my immediate circles and then I did have a, a friend who um I wouldn't even know what like identity term they'd use for themselves, but like some some shade of non-binary or genderqueer. And I remember just being such an asshole about them, right? Like just they would change their pronouns constantly. And I was definitely one of those shitty people at the time that was just like, can you just decide? Like this is really confusing, right? And like I, in that moment, right, which like was not too long before I claimed my own like, you know, genderqueer identity and started using they them pronouns, like that was the mentality I had. And like that was what I was projecting toward this person because it was new, it was confusing I didn't understand right I'm just like I don't like this things keep changing like your name keeps changing like what's going on here and so I, they were definitely like the first person like in my conscious being that like demonstrated something that was not you know a binary trans experience or like a you know super extra queer cis experience even because I think those um also can open some gates too but I went from being like an asshole, right? Like to then being someone who's like, yep, I'm non-binary. And so like, in addition to the, like you, you learn some shit about yourself and then you have to unlearn a whole lot of shit about how you understand like what is possible. And so I think that's where some of this additional rigidity comes from is that we've got trans folks in our like, larger communities that don't do that level of unlearning and just kind of regurgitate the rules, but from the vantage point of someone who's trans, which is how we end up with folks like Buck Angel being absolute trash. And it's like, can you be a turf and be trans? Yeah, Buck Angel has demonstrated you can. Like, how is this possible? Just like being really rigid about like shitty, icky, like gender essentials things. So I don't know where all of that thought was going, but like to y'all, to every, like I said, from the beginning, this is gonna be a scattered conversation, but like, I, I think back then, thinking about like who was the first example I can think of and I'm like I was an asshole to that person and even though they like led pathways for me at the time I was not kind I was not graceful and like I think that's an unfortunate reality that folks have to come to terms with too is that we are so entrenched in the icky gender binary that we are not perfect and even when we claim transness we do not suddenly become like you don't download software to your brain that's just like I am really great about all things gender and I'm not going to be oppressive to anybody like that's just unfortunately not real either oh yeah I've certainly uh seen some things come up on my time hop on Facebook that I'm like <laughs> oh that's getting deleted high school Michelle was messy <laughs> but just with you uh definitely had to unlearn some shit <laughs> <laughs> the the internalized transphobia is definitely mm -hmm. definitely I was the same way I had friends who were non-binary in college and just me being like wow that's totally ridiculous I can't believe you would do that you're totally that's dumb your name is dumb like like just you know what I mean like I said I, yeah. I was I was mean I was awful but mm -hmm. like you know I I had to really unlearn a lot of that you know and it takes time and it takes a lot of presence of mind and it's just like wow I can't believe that I used to be that mm -hmm. way but I just it's it's understandable given the culture we live in you know I wonder how much of that right and like I think you know looking for the conversation that's possible in the room circa Adrienne Marie Brown's encouragement through emergent strategy because I'm a big nerd about it right is like thinking about the four of us right AFAB white, white assumed folks, right? Like mm -hmm. there's also additional components to what um, society would have expected of us had we not gone the pathway of having that gender dissonant aha moment 
where like we would be I, it hurts me to even kids. say this it would yeah we would yes there we we would be a particular like stereotype right we would be the karens of the era uh-huh. and like that hurts me to say that right but like that is what society expected of us and so in our like circumstances in our respective places of going to k-12 through school of existing in certain neighborhoods existing you know just like there's a lot of diversity if you will in like our respective experiences but like when you get right down to it right like there was an expectation of who we would become as adults and we chose different pathways but again that doesn't automatically come with you know just like dusting our shoulders off of all of the conditioning and coaching we received <laughs> to be these really shitty racist like anti-trans turfy people because that is what like is the dominant narrative and dominant expectation and so I feel like that's even you know more extra fitting in this moment where we're seeing all of these anti-trans legislative attacks which are not necessarily new right like those have been going on for near a decade at least now in the way that we're seeing them but there's a a specific flavor to it and the folks that are um, participating in the slaughter if you will right are folks who who (laughs) you would think would be um, more graceful you know but cis white women are not our friends Um, and even if they're not like Republicans, they're contributing to this this um, discourse, if you will, mm-hmm. about how right uh, the only um, oppressed gender is women. Women have the like pedestal and should have the mic. And by women, I mean cis white women, right, are mm-hmm. trying to claim that they're the most um, oppressed gender. Um, in regards to the larger conversation about gender justice, which we know not to be true, but it's becoming this extra contentious battle, I think, in that where do non-binary folks fit into this conversation around gender justice when we're still coming off of the curtails of like these waves of feminism that couldn't even include like Black lesbian feminist theory or like people um, to then say, okay, also like, non-binary folks are here too um (laughs) and have been trying to like reach out and like be made visible if you will in this converse is all messy like I don't know where this Mm -hmm. thought is going but just like in this in this current context in this current moment it just feels extra complicated to see all that is happening as attacks on trans people and have it be still rooted in the antiquated understandings of transness, right? Binary transness. When we were talking a little bit earlier about the medical industrial complex, if you will, in the healthcare <laughs> system, my other thought too is that like the understandings that the healthcare, like the health field has about trans people is barely catching up with the like decades old understandings of binary trans people, mm-hmm. like where the original like approach to treating a trans person was you had to act hyper- uh, hyper extra in the gender that you were wanting to be socially seen as so that you could get approval from your doctor, right? Like uh, super exasperated campy iterations of your gender to get approved for things. And so I think we're just barely coming off of the like healthcare field catching up to binary trans necessities. So the idea that there would be a non-binary person who's like, well, I want low dose testosterone or mm-hmm. I don't want to be a testosterone, but I'd like to access top surgery 
or like all of these like uh, modifications on the standard, like the standard has barely been established for some of these procedures, which is why it's so hard and expensive for folks to access it. So this whole monologue is for me to say, right? Like the world has barely caught up to the concept of binary trans people. And so then along come non-binary trans people. And it's all because of colonialism. <laughs> like, like that's the reality here too, is that like we got like, it's all because of colonialism. And so the world is just barely catching up to binary transness in its systemic like existence. And now we're trying to say, okay, cool. So now that you're, you've still got this rigidity and you're still trying to like assume that there's only two genders, there's more to do. Yeah, colonialism of like non-binary as a concept has existed for forever. And it's like super prevalent in a lot of indigenous communities and stuff like Two-Spirit. And so it's just like talking to, I don't know, my parents who are wasps and, you know, they're like, oh yeah, it's so hard to keep up with all these new terms and all these new things. And I'm like, this stuff isn't new. It might be new to you, but it's not new. And if you had anything other than a white education and had, you know, stepped outside of, you know, Downers Grove, Illinois for most of your life, you might have different experiences and you might have different thoughts and earlier this week I had a conversation with my mom and she was oh I don't know how I feel about these athletic bills like I don't want you know boys to blah 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 and I was just like mom we've had this conversation before we're gonna have this conversation again but you're wrong (laughs) I'm sorry but you're wrong and here is why (laughs) and like at the end of this conversation she's like you're right I agree with you. Everybody should be able to do whatever they want, sports-wise, otherwise, anything. But we're still going to have that conversation in two weeks again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really annoying to like routinely and repeatedly have these same exact conversations with my parents, like coming, not coming out to them. They know I'm non-binary, but having to explain what non-binary is Mm -hmm. and what non-binary, being non-binary means to me over and over and over again. I've been out for like four-ish years now. And last week my parents were like, yeah, we don't know what that means. I'm like, how, how (laughs) we've had this conversation so many times. (laughs) And like, to me, that's entirely a lack of representation thing and like they don't have a lot of other non-binary people in their lives to like draw comparisons from where they have plenty of other like queer people in their lives and in their church and whatever it it is interesting because like there's a bunch of queer kids in my neighborhood and it's cool that their parents are like hey you're non-binary my kid is non-binary you should meet my kid so they have a adult role model of sorts for their gender which is super endearing and adorable and I love it because like definitely didn't have that outside of you know folks in the institute for me when I was coming out I'll say one of the things that I've noticed since I've been more open about my sexuality and gender is other people around me starting to like have these ideas for themselves as well. Um, I've had multiple 
of my, you know, female friends, like, be like, hey, I think I'm actually bi. Can you, like, talk to me about it? Or, like, like I'm their go-to person for questions. And it's like, I that wouldn't have been the case, you know, when did I join the Institute 2016? Before that, <laughs> nobody would have come to me for that. I both love and dislike being the, like, token queer friend for, like, people in my neighborhood or the token trans non-binary person for people in my circle or whatever because it's like you get a ton of questions and you get a ton of like oh I'm questioning help me through this process and I'm like yes let's work through this pro let's work through this together and I'm here for you and I want to help and also where the fuck were you when I was coming out Mm -hmm. and I don't I didn't have any of that when I was coming out but then also like don't want to be I don't know like uh greek where it's like oh i have to haze you because i was hazed and don't want to perpetuate that crap so like both feeling the dichotomy of both feeling like yes i want to help and let's work through this process together because i didn't have that and that sucked so i don't want to not do that for you but then also it gets old doing Mm -hmm. it repeatedly for a lot of different folks (laughs) Sounds like um, a boundaries thing. Um, I don't have those, so I can't. I don't have those either. (laughs) Oh no! Damn. (laughs) You Midwest upbringing. (laughs) It's my. It's technically my full time job to like educate on like queer and trans shit. But there's even even with it being like technically my job, and I feel like I talk about this with other folks in higher education who do like LGBTQIA support service work in in college and universities. Is that there's still. there's still a threshold in which it's appropriate to ask these certain types of questions and or right like I don't want to explain to you for the five millionth time what the quote unquote difference between transgender and transsexual is like google it or google it first and then come to me because you have find you have found this wealth of resources and different places that explain it differently like it's always about like, like terminology it's always about language and just like if you haven't deduced by now that there is not one definition of these identity labels and I don't know how to help you um and that's not what you're coming to be f- me for and like it's an expenditure of my energy like I'd rather have an engaging conversation about some resource or content that you have discovered and you want to talk about how that relates to something else that you like thought or unlearning about something else and I want to save my energy for like students because we still live in a reality where um, folks live either in restrictive households where they're not able to do that explore like exploration of self and like college is such a specific time where we're going through certain types of identity development and understanding ourselves in relation to other people. Um, so it's very common for college students to have that aha moment, you know, at 18, 19, 20 years old or later as they're exposed to different types of experiences in college. Um, and it's very common for me to have students come to me and they're like, I don't know any other trans adults or like you're the only non-binary trans adult that I like know of, especially at the university. Last time I checked, I was anywhere from like 100% of the trans staff in my division and then 33.33333% um, at the university, right? Like that's a problem and it also means that like folks have limited access to folks um, with a shared identity and it also creates restrictions because like I'm a white non-binary person serving an entire campus in my role and so there's going to be limitations on who can resonate with me and how I can best advise and support the students so like there's just a whole mess to that so like when it comes to finding folks to benchmark yourself against 
in a healthy way, like these possibility models that we're talking about, right? Like depending on who's able to be out and visible in those spaces is a component because there may be other trans and non-binary people at my campus, but they may not be able to be as like public or clear about it as I am in my role. Um, and so the point of this, right, was just like, how much are you willing to play educator as just someone who has a lived experience? Because as I also mentioned earlier, just because you are claiming transness or a non-binary experience doesn't mean you suddenly have this wealth of information about everybody and you shouldn't be tokenized in that way. And I also would caution folks to also not step into roles in which you're trying to talk on behalf of the entire community because you're gonna make a mess. I've seen lots of people who tout themselves off as being trans affirming trainers. They're shit. They're saying shitty things. So don't do that. Yeah, I really dislike being treated like queer trans Google, you know? It's mm -hmm. like I'm not. I used to do this thing at university that was essentially like a bunch of queer and trans people go to like first year classes and, you know, talk to them about being queer and trans. Um, and sometimes that would be very productive conversations. But other times when I tell people those, when I tell people that my pronouns are they, them, they're like, how are you more than one person? And it's like, oh, buddy, <laughs> I got a lot to <laughs> tell you. Uh, yeah, so oh. yeah, like, again, I don't necessarily mind all the time educating people, but sometimes it's like, that is not, I'm, I'm not an educator, firstly, but that's not my job, you know, that's not something that I need to be doing for you. Like, yeah, like you said, Google exists, and you can, you can Google most of the things that you were <laughs> asking me. My cutoff is if I'm doing the Google, if I am being the Google for a baby queer is very, very different in my mind than being the Google for a cis straight white woman, because I'm sorry, I don't have the energy to tell you my whole life story when it doesn't impact you in any way. And I don't care. I don't know. A few months ago, we went um, my wife and I went to a birthday party at a bar with her friends and like I didn't necessarily feel like coming out in that space didn't really want to have this conversation with a whole bunch of white women and like I love my wife so much because she does have a knee-jerk response when anybody uses my wrong pronouns and I'm like cool it please I don't want to do this conversation right now but of course like the the knee-jerk response was noticed and my reaction to the knee-jerk response was noticed and so then I had to like dive into this whole big long story and then it's just like exhausting because I was like I didn't come here for this if you were questioning or if you were curious if you were queer in some way shape or form my like energy towards having this conversation drastically changes but right now I just want to eat my burger or my mac and cheese I forget what I was having and like mind my own business and get out of here as fast as possible because social situations are not my favorite because introvert for life the, the story for me is very much like akin to something I've written about that I'll probably resurface for um, some social media posts around this podcast getting published, right? But it's like, what is the cost associated with visibility, right? Like as yourself and as a person or like as the community, right? Like what are we conditioning folks to assume is an acceptable level of questioning when they're not 
not questioning their own identity or they're not within the community, right? Like I think to your point, it's different if there's someone coming to you and like, this is still labor. So mind your, like mind your energy and establish boundaries. But if someone's like, hey, I've got some stuff going on. I'm having my gender dissonance aha moment, right? Can I talk to you about it, right? Like you can establish a better relationship with that person versus um, I'm just going to ask you out of curiosity because I ha- personally have no boundaries and you're just fascinating to me. I'm going to treat you like a case study subject and I'm just going to be really intrusive and ask, like, get away from me. Like, get away from me. That's not okay. So, like, what is yes. the cost? Michelle, are you going to say something? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I was um, at a party with some friends recently where, um, you know, my husband and I were the only ones out I I have some suspicions about some people from this friend group but um as far as I'm aware they're all straight and cis um but somebody um who apparently like I thought that they knew that I was on the ace spectrum and like clearly they did not know that I'm like I'm demi so um they had like made they were talking about sexuality and was like ace is the one that I just don't understand and so I jumped into they're my friend and I so I just started explaining and then like, you know, and she was asking questions, whatever. I was having a one-on-one conversation. And then I realized everybody there was listening and like the rest of the group had gone silent and was oh. listening to me talk. Like and that. then I was, and it was like, these are like people who are like my best friends for years. Like I, they are like my family. We have family brunch every like, you know, week or so, a couple weeks. Like it's not people I'm uncomfortable with, but they're all listening intently. And I'm like, mm all right, y'all, we got to like, let's bust out like a game or something. We got to move on. (laughs) This is, this got weird. I like hate being the center of attention regardless. And in that situation, it just sounds terrible, like just absolutely terrifying and terrible in so many different ways. Yeah. And like, nobody was being unsupportive of me. Like if nobody was being out of line, I was just like, I need to like not be center of attention anymore right now. I want to go back for a minute to that that misgendering thing that you were talking about, Andy, that like I it's weird because because I'm not out to everyone in my life and like not everyone understands like non-binary. So sometimes it's just easier not to explain myself. So like choosing to be deliberately misgendered in a situation mm-hmm. is just like kills me sometimes. Mm. Yes. But, like I recognize that I like I don't want to be out in this situation because like I'm uncomfortable it might be dangerous it might be you know whatever I don't know or sometimes I just Mm -hmm. don't have the energy to like explain my whole life story to people like you said Mm -hmm. right like that that choice for me is like agonizing I cannot stand having to be deliberately misgendered by people but like again sometimes it's just easier yeah Mm -hmm. my my usual like gut check is am I ever going to interact with this person again Mm. if the answer is yes then I will usually take the time to correct and at least give a low dose version of like this is why like I use they them pronouns this is what they them pronouns is this is what non-binary is the short like TLDR version just to like get it out and over with but only if I ever plan on seeing that person again If it's, you know, a TSA agent or a banker or a waitress at a restaurant that I might not go back to, I really do not care. (laughs) I don't care enough to spend that time or that labor. Yeah, it definitely makes my stomach like, like my stomach does the thing. But in the grand scheme of things, I know Mm -hmm. that person isn't going to remember me in 20 minutes. So I don't really care. 
Mm -hmm. I struggle with like what I'll do for myself versus what I'll do for other people. Like I'll go hard, like protecting other people's like name and pronoun situation when it seems like it's when it, when it seems like a situation in which they're not necessarily doing it out of a place of, I'm not going to just like, I'm not going to share that information because it's unsafe for me. It's a, I don't have the fucking energy to do this right now. And I'm just not gonna. So when I can generally gauge and read that, like someone's just not doing it out of a place of energy, like I got you. Cause I just feel like I, I just encountered so many cishet people that are just like, well, I didn't know, like, if I should address that. It's just like default to probably doing that, or it means you don't, you're not in the right relationship with the person that that information impacts to already have like the preemptive knowledge to know what you should do. And that is in itself is Mm -hmm. a problem. But as far as like for myself, I've got my, like, I feel like we have to establish like our own criteria of like, when is it, when is it worth worth quote quote um or when does it matter like when can it matter um and I think just based on the four of us it sounds like I've been doing this the longest apparently um that like you kind of just like grow a certain level of accustomed to like here's the instances in which I can expect this to happen and here's the times in which it's going to like work out for me to address it but I've also been pleasantly surprised in times um Mm -hmm. or frustratingly surprised that's there's two anecdotes that are coming to mind one time I went through the Burger King drive-thru and I pulled up to the person and they, I can't remember if they sir or ma'am me. Either way, I made a face and they caught the face and they're like, what are your pronouns? And I was able to share them. And it was this cute little queerling at the Burger King drive-thru. And then the next time I came, they remembered and it was beautiful, Aww. right? I was just Aww. like, the kids are all right. Like we're heading a good direction. But then like where it, it doesn't help, right? Like it doesn't help where folks are like fumbling and trying through like using correct pronoun usage or like asking you about your pronouns. Um, I went to the emergency room one time a handful of years ago for like a major panic attack, right? And I was just like, I want to be seen. I want to figure out what's going on. Like I just felt like in a diabolical situation and no one was giving me any information yet. And the... <sighs> This is a terrible, like a terribly long story. But the point is there was someone who knew who I was in the ER room that wasn't necessarily in charge of my care, but was uh, privy to the fact that I was there. And so they had communicated to some folks who were attending to my care to let them know that my pronouns were not what they would assume, which was kind of them, right? Like, and that happened like off the grid. I wasn't aware it was happening. But then it made me frustrated because then I had the, like the attending nurse like come and ask me about pronouns and name. And I was just like, this is not the time. Like I'm literally having a panic attack. At this point, I've already had to like share like my dead name and other information with like the front desk. I've already had a terrible time. Like, please just, like, please just attend to me. Like, please just help me. I don't care. Like, I can't possibly care about this because this is not the time. So time, place, manner feels like ultimately something that yeah. we have to hold, which is exhausting. It's mm-hmm. exhausting. Like, I, I feel, I, I'm thankful that I guess like we have graduated from the in 99% of situations I don't have to do the head check of like is it safe to hold my wife's hand I'm glad we've graduated from that but now I feel like in realizing and coming to terms with the fact that I'm non-binary now I have this whole other set of like hoops to jump through in social Mm -hmm. situations and I'm like why did I sign up for this again all right I didn't sign up for it this is just how I am and (laughs) yay Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll say that, like, I've started, I, you know, even before I, like, came to the realization myself, I've always kind of gotten kind of mixed bag of gendering <laughs> out in public. Um, and, like, it is, it can be so frustrating. Like, I went to Qdoba, I just wanted a burrito, I got sur and then 
he changes it and he's like, oh, ma'am, ma'am. And like just starts shouting ma'am at me. And I'm like, can I have a burrito? <laughs> like, can I just have a burrito? I was pleasantly surprised the other day though. I went to uh, Lens Crafters. I was getting my glasses and I walked in and this person I would have in my head stereotyped as like traditional sales lady, like blonde, you know, looks like they were in sales. And as, you know, she's going through, okay, this is, you know, what frames are on sale, whatever. It's like, these are traditionally feminine. These are masculine. These are um, neutral and, you know, gender's a construct, pick what you like. And I'm just like, I'm like, what? I have never in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just like really surprised, but pleasantly so. I am always like pleasantly surprised when I am absurd. Like, <laughs> even though like I've been told my voice is low my entire life, even though I dress masculine and I'm down 10 pounds in the chest area because I got rid of the boobs, like it is still surprising to me how many times I get mammed. And I'm like, what? Where are you getting this from? <laughs> Where is this coming from? Like, my hair is short. I am wearing masculine clothes. Uh, I'm wearing a mask so you can't see my facial structure. And, like, there's a lot of fat around my face anyway. So, like, can't really see my, like, bone structure all that well. So, like, are you just getting it from my hips? Are you getting it from the fact that I am five foot two? Regardless, where the (laughs) hell are you getting it? Because, like, I don't know. I'm at this phase, I guess, or my desire in my appearance to like, I don't care if you get the gender wrong, but I want random folks to do a double take. That's, that's kind of what I'm going for, I guess. And I don't know how like good or bad that is, but it's like, I don't want, I want your gut check to be, wait, what? And Mm -hmm. that's where it to be. And I'm not there yet, which is like infuriating, but also I live in a, you know, more conservative part of Illinois. So I just want to be left alone, right? <laughs> like my partner and I will go to like a grocery store or whatever, and he'll get all up in his like huffy fields. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, that person over there is like totally staring at you. And I'm like, I didn't even notice, right? Like that's the place <laughs> that I like, I, I think, I mean, a piece of that is kind of sad because it means that like I've created kind of these social blinders to like really be inattentive to what's around me because like I know that in most circumstances when I'm like I'm going to a place amongst the general public that I'm probably being perceived very inquisitively of like what's going on there like I have definitely been in line at like a retail store and heard people behind me whispering like is that a boy or a girl like it's just it's so ubiquitous and I like I think sometimes I've also like made it up in my head that I'm hearing that but just like the energy and the aura of the space has very much indicated that like that's the mental gymnastics that folks are going through with me so I've just kind of built this particular protection for my energy that's just like let me go to the grocery store and come back out with like paying any mind to someone who's doing those mental gymnastics and it's just had to be that way um because I just want to be left alone (laughs) like I don't want you to perceive me at all just like leave me alone which is hard because like I'm a six foot tall fat trans person so you know there's a lot of me to look at but like don't look at me leave me alone (laughs) that's very much how I feel just under I just claimed six foot it's mine I, I could take it wow <laughs> I guess I never put that together but I, I I'm just perpetually tiny so with the hair you hit six foot easy <laughs> yeah you're right you're it right. gives you it gives you a few more inches 
little bit more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but no, I'm very much the same. Like, please stop perceiving me when I'm out in public. I love, love masks for that reason. You know, I, they're maybe not the most comfortable thing to wear in public, but, uh, you know, don't look at me, please. So I'm like too approachable is one of my problems. And again, it's the lack of boundaries, but I, for a while was trying to wear, um, a mask that was, that had the see-through panel for like folks that are deaf or hearing impaired. And I had to stop because people took it as a signal to come and talk to me mm -hmm. because they could see my smile. Like if I made eye contact, I'm like, yeah. Um, and so I had to switch back to wearing masks that weren't see-through because people kept talking to me. Doesn't help we live in the Midwest where, yes. uh, as our intro implies, folks want to have five minute conversations with you by the potatoes at Aldi and not let you go about your life. Oh my God, old <sighs> ladies love me. Old ladies at the grocery store, I am their favorite. So we've been chatting for a hot minute and I'm sure we could like, fill up much more recording time to the chagrin of our editor. Uh, sorry, Justin. But um, to like work us towards a wrap up, we started the conversation with folks sharing their anecdotes about kind of your gender dissonance or gender questioning aha moment. And so I think as a way to wrap us up, um, maybe going around and folks sharing, right? Like what would you have liked to have seen or had happened differently either in your life or in the world just a simple question um that would have like made that aha moment different or happen earlier um or open up the possibilities for you better um than what you perhaps experienced because clearly as we've talked about there's a lot of limitation there's a lot of imposter syndrome there's a lot of i'm not trans enough there's a lot of reasoning why we don't reach out for this existence as readily because of cishet normative society, but also because of the complexities of the trans community in general. So what would you have liked to have happened different or see different so that um, folks can reach out for this possibility and explore their gendered lives uh, more seamlessly than it sounds like we've experienced? I wish I would have heard the word non-binary before I was like 20 mm. years old. Same. I wish mm -hmm. someone had said that like you know I knew about binary trans people but I had no idea that you could even be non-binary mm -hmm. I never mm -hmm. heard that word at all I didn't know what it meant at all you know I didn't I didn't have that I wish that I had had that so at least I would have had some idea earlier mm -hmm. of like maybe this is it but <laughs> I didn't I, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. didn't either the yeah. word or like more humans in like day-to-day -day life instead of like granted I don't think any of us maybe with the exception of RB on this call wouldn't like have come out as non-binary when we did if it wasn't for Mumble Tech or the Institute or the folks in that ecosystem but it's like yeah so I, I would love I would have loved to have a human outside of that that I could have been like oh wait you're you're like me too or I'm like you and we can be you know weirdos together <laughs> yeah yeah as corny as it sounds for you know visibility it's trans visibility day that's what would have helped so yeah say like with my other identities you know I am a biromantic demisexual person who is also non-binary it's everything's in the middle um and to know that anything existed between the binaries of gender would have been would have been lovely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of that resonates for me. Um, 
language wise, right, I think I claim genderqueer much sooner. I think I use non-binary as kind of a catch-all for simplification purposes, because in many ways, I feel like that phrasing has become more commonplace than other things, even though to your point, Danielle, right, like that wasn't as common even within the past, I don't know, five years, maybe, like not that it wasn't in use at all, but just like hasn't, didn't have quite the same um, popularity as before, because like I understood what queer meant, so I was like, if you put gender in front of that, like that seems to click, like that makes sense to my brain, like that, you know, that's fine, non-binary just felt like this whole other situation that I didn't understand, and then I'm also like at a place where like non-binary feels difficult, because I, I forget where I came upon this, I don't know, reading a book or social media, I couldn't, ca- I couldn't tell you, but like someone was challenging the notion that like non-binary is kind of this like hard word to, to utilize, because it explains what you're not, right, like it's one of the only phrases that like explains like what you're not, versus kind of like claims and uh, explains like what is, what is, and what is happening and it also then creates its own binary of binary versus non-binary trans people which makes additional mess anyway that's a whole different episode we'll get there I don't know what I would have needed right like I think just I think back to this moment where I I denied myself going to like a trans break a trans specific breakout group at a camp I was at um my hand uh, in 20, 2013, right? And I was just like, I kind of want to go. And I even articulated to to articulated that to a friend. I was like, I kind of want to go, but like, I'm definitely questioning. I don't really know if I should go. And I wish that friend would have said, come with me, right? Like he, he definitely had said, like, I think you should if you want to. And I chose what was comfortable. I chose to go to like a bisexual breakout group because that's what was comfortable. That's what I knew at the time. And I wish I would have challenged myself. And I wish that friend would have said, you know, come with me. And like, we could have both been confident enough to say I should go there because things probably would have shaped out very differently. Not that I necessarily had like a hard time, like coming, coming into it necessarily, but like that would have definitely helped me have a pretty thrush trans ecosystem right away versus kind of having to build it piece by piece over the course of a handful of years versus just having that group right away. So all that say, sounds like we've got some big idea changes that we'd like to see enacted. I really, again, think that the kids are all right. And I think just like, we can see that for folks, you know, in their early teens, even and before that, are really getting the message. They're really challenging things. We know that Gen Z, for example, is more than 50% some some shade of queer. So like things that were obstacles for us, ideally are just gonna be non-starters for upcoming generations of folks and things that would just be laughable um, to folks that are younger than us. And I'm reminded of um, something that Toshi Regan, who's the co-host of the Octavia Parables podcast, the other host is Adrienne Marie Brown, because like I said, I'm a huge nerd about um, emergent strategies, so we'll bring her up anytime I can. But Toshi talked about having folks in your life that are 10 years younger than you, because that's how we're going to establish kind of these intergenerational connections around progress and movement work and liberation work, right? That like there's something very important in the relationship between folks who live, who are aged decades apart. And I think about that in the grand scheme of this conversation is that I can't currently point at anybody when I was younger that was 10 years my senior or more that necessarily would have been able to offer resources or guidance or just even existing for me to look at with my eyeballs. Um, But as I've grown into my own queerness, there's definitely people 
who are generations ahead of me that are existing in their transness that I can look to for um, certain types of guidance, but I had to find them after claiming my transness, not necessarily before. And I think based on a lot of what we talked about, that's been an experience for folks too, is that you kind of had to, to take the swan dive into I'm here. I don't know exactly how I'm showing up. I don't exactly know if all of my pieces have like come with me, but like I've arrived, I think. I don't know. It's scary. Help me. Um, how do we disallow folks having to take the, the swan dive and maybe fumble and get bruised and battered along the way versus being able to gently and gracefully like guide folks into whatever iteration of transness they'd like to be. So any parting thoughts, final words, final things before we we head off to whatever we're going to do next. This was a good conversation. I it agree. was. Yeah, I yeah. enjoy I enjoy spending mm-hmm. time with you all on this nice mm-hmm. and well, sunny for me day. I guess parting thought from the audience uh, for the audience here is uh, don't have imposter syndrome like all of us. Um, <laughs> or you do and accept it's going to yeah. be a thing. <laughs> yes, but like you are enough. That's all I'm saying. Take the Last Bite is made possible by the volunteer labor of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity staff. Our larger work is sustained by the contributions of grassroots donors. If you would like to support the life-saving work of empowering, connecting, and educating Midwest queer and trans communities, please consider setting up a monthly or one-time donation at sgbinstitute.org backslash giving or hitting that green donate button on our website's homepage. Our inbox is open for all of your insight, feedback, questions, boycotts, memes, and other forms of written correspondence. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org. Particular shout out to Justin, Andy, Nick, Danielle, and Michelle for all of your support with editing, promotion, transcripts, and production. Our amazing and queer as fuck cover art was designed by Adrian McCormick. <laughs>